Welcome to Welcome to Primetime, a show covering the Freddy Krueger-hosted anthology series Freddy's Nightmares, one episode at a time. I'm Brennan Klein. Every episode is brought to you by donations from listeners like you. You get one new episode for every donation. Please help us keep going by giving to The Okra Project, an organization that is working to feed black trans people in need. You can find out how to donate in the show notes. This week's patron is Kevin at Encyclophobia. And our guest once more from This Ends at Prom, Harmony Colangelo. Welcome back to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me back. You're so welcome. You're trapped. You will never leave. I mean, that's kind of the theming of one of these episodes, so. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, we're here to today to talk about episode 20 of season one, The Light at the End of the Tunnel. Uh, this air date was May 14th, 1989. What you could have watched in theaters instead this weekend was Earth Girls Are Easy with Jeff Goldblum. Which Aww. is probably a better move. I mean, I I love that movie visually. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, and this episode is maybe not a visual masterpiece, but we'll we'll find out. No, it's uh there's a lot of dark going on. There's not a lot to see. <laughs> That's very true. Um this actually this episode for some reason, the two episodes that you and I are covering right now are auteurist episodes, because this one has another writer-director um, who's also a supervising producer of the show. It's Jonathan Betuel. All right. Um, and these dudes really needed to get these episodes off their chests. I don't know what was going on with them. They were working through some things, evidently. <laughs> Apparently. Um, the the cast here is mostly unknowns, ex- except for, um, as Linda, we have Dana Stevens, who's not a huge actress, but she did write several screenplays, including um, the Angelina Jolie movie Life or something like it, and the Nicholas Sparks movie Safe Haven. So, claps for Dana Stevens. Okay. And, I've, I've never heard of either of those, but good for her. Uh, Safe Haven is a wild movie. Um, it's maybe, it's a B-tier Nicholas Sparks, which is, I guess, saying something. And um, that is. <laughs> but, spoiler alert, Kobe Smulders plays the ghost of the dude's ex-girlfriend who befriends the lady. <laughs> okay. That, so that's a, that's a choice. It certainly is. <laughs> um, so check it out if you like ghosts, I, I guess. Probably not. Um, and also it stars, well, it features that guy Dick Miller. Oh, I was um, so excited when he showed up on screen. Character, actor, icon, long may he reign. Um, he deli- he single-handedly pulls this episode out of the mud whenever he's on screen. For real. Especially, okay, so I did not, I knew that there would be like celebrity guests in some of these episodes. And mm-hmm. I got pretty much none of them. But thankfully, I got Dick Miller on one of the two episodes I saw. <laughs> When, okay, I have a question then, because sure. Dick Miller's been in so many things, like horror and action and whatever. But like, when you see him, what's the first project of his that you that comes to mind for you? The first one is Gremlins, and obviously Gremlins Two. Mm-hmm. My personal like favorite warm fuzzies of Dick Miller is Chopping Mall, though. Oh yeah, as the, as the disgruntled janitor. Oh, he's so good. <laughs> Um, for me, I think of, he was in Night of the Creeps as the guy who runs, like, the, the gun rack that, uh, the, what the hell, Tom Atkins, like, goes to. Uh-huh. So, so that's the one I think of first, but yeah, he's been in eight million things. Yeah, because he's that guy. He is. Um, okay, so this episode opens 
with this kid at a dinner table with his parents and he's like where do babies come from and they start telling this really sweet nonsense story about like well there's a stork and then there's the bees and the snips and the snails and the parents start getting really horny describing this like cutesy way that babies are born yeah they have like no restraint on their thirst for each other which yeah, is like that's like, that's kind of marriage goals yeah um but yeah they're they're drawing closer and closer together um but then basically freddie interrupts and he's like look at these whiny yuppies because we are bashing the yuppies in the end of season one not mm-hmm. that that's not that i disapprove but it's just very random uh, they they had a they had an axe to grind apparently with upper upper class white people I guess I mean who doesn't you know yeah um yeah he's like whiny yuppies you call that a show and then there's a title card that says Freddy something and I'm like wow this is specifically a parody uh not a good one but they're going for something um and then he throws a knife at the dad and hangs the mom with a noose and he kills the dog. And like the dog did nothing. No, I was I didn't realize there was a dog until it pans over and there is a dead dog with an arrow in it, and I was really upset. Yeah, it's just Freddie. You know, he's trying to dismantle the American family. It's the gay agenda. I get it, but <laughs> like, first of all, the dog didn't do anything. But second of all, I wanted him to kill the kid. Yeah, I mean, the kid was was being real whiny. But you need this kid. If you kill him, then we don't have this episode. I mean, look. That seems like a silver lining to me. You know, well, that doesn't create television time. You're right. Um, I mean, as much as I would love it if Freddy just, like, stabbed the kid and he just falls over into his cereal, and then it just stays on that shot for, like, 20 minutes. <laughs> I, Yeah, you know, it might be better than some of these episodes, at least. <laughs> um Okay, so basically the wall of the kitchen slides away to reveal a dark tunnel, and Freddy's like, oh, he's afraid of the dark. Now that's something I can make a story out of. And this is the most interactive Freddy has ever been with any material on this show, and so I, I appreciated that. It's, 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 it's in his normal wheelhouse. Yeah, um, not normal for this show, because usually he doesn't seem aware of what's actually going on in the episode and just says a pun about something unrelated. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, so the, the, this level of engagement, I really appreciated from him. That was That's probably what the concept for the show started as, and then they just wandered further off the path, I'm guessing. Oh, I can only imagine. I mean, they probably were like, all right, in every episode, Freddy's going to do like five minutes of this shtick, and Robert Englund's like, hold on. You have me for two days, and I'm going to get the hell out of here, so do what you can. Yeah, you know, I, I don't blame him for that. <laughs> no. Look, he, he saw these scripts and he was like, ah, I'm good. I would I would rather be here as little as possible. <sighs> so would I, Harmony. <laughs> anyway. Um, You've made it this far. You're like halfway almost. Yeah, actually. Yeah. As of next week, I'll be halfway. Okay. So, so you know, just stay strong. <laughs> yeah, I'll do my best. Thank you. Thank you for the words <laughs> of strength. Um. So yeah, basically, Michael is afraid of the dark. He hears this scary monster noise in this dark tunnel, but then he wakes up having a night terror. He's an adult now with a wife, um, not a dog. Um, and she's basically like, I don't mean to nag, but you need a job because you just you know sit there and watch TV and yada, yada, yada. And then she has to leave because apparently she only has 15 minutes for lunch. So And somehow she can get home during that time to go eat lunch. So I guess she works next door. 
They just, maybe the video store is beneath their apartment. I, as a kid, that seemed to me the height of sophistication of living above something like that. Yeah. I, uh, I don't live above something. I live behind uh, an office supply store that looks abandoned. Oh, is it abandoned? No, it's not. Uh, it's, uh, it's a weird thing where it's, office, it's vintage office supplies that are not, um, they're vintage in the sense that they haven't sold for a few decades. And okay. one of the landlords, which is uh, these two brothers, really likes vintage motorcycles like Hondas. So half the store is becoming uh, an unmarked motorcycle store as well. Wow, how bohemian. <laughs> It's a, uh, it's something. They uh, they don't ever turn all the lights on in the store either. How how terrifying. Um, so okay, antique. Uh, forget this episode. Antique <laughs> office supplies. Is it? Does it have? Do they just have reams and reams of that paper with the the rows of little holes on the side? That oh, you can, the dot matrix printing. Yes, they do. They uh, for a long time they had a big metal sign that said we do faxing. <laughs> As if anyone still faxes. Uh, our, our landlords, okay, so they're very, very nice men. I've lived in the same apartment for a long time, like almost 10 years now, because they're, it's a very good place to live and the rent is super cheap. But they are some of the most perplexing men ever. Like, they are obsessed with Civil War memorabilia and like leave signs up in the front windows of the store year round for to remind you when flag day is but also <laughs> they're like super liberal and one of them lives upstairs for us and we can constantly smell like weed wafting down from the, from his apartment upstairs wow what a what a study in contrasts it's i i kind of love that it just bucks all trends that you would expect of like some 65 year old white guys you know what Cool. We stand. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, so so this episode, um, uh, I really, okay, yes. So he needs to get a job. He gets one uh, by calling a ba- on a newspaper ad thing. Um, he, tra- he starts working for Dick Miller, who plays Al, the Lord of the Underground. <laughs> Which is a great name for I Work in the Sewers. Yeah, it's a great name for Dick Miller, too. <laughs> that, too. <laughs> um so basically, yeah, he has to work in the sewers. It doesn't seem to be that hard of a job. They mostly just wander around with flashlights and don't touch anything. I was like, I could probably do that. Yeah, it's manageable as long as, you know, you're not afraid of the dark. Yeah, which he is. <laughs> um, but first, also, yeah, an- another one of the infinite trigger warnings that this pair of episodes has. There's a super, uh, Linda has a super horribly, like, sexually harassing boss um, who keeps trying to flirt with her not even like just really aggressively like bed her in the middle of work and yeah her co-workers like don't listen to the slime and it's like no you should call someone <laughs> like this is a problem yeah i he has a line and i don't remember exactly what it is but she's basically like no leave me alone and he's like it's okay i love it when my lays struggle a little bit and it's like oh god no i, I think it's I love some resistance when I lay some pipe or something. Yes, that's exactly what it is. And it's so scummy. It's 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 horrible. I hate him. And we get to spend 20 whole minutes with him later. Um, we do. And the this is kind of like a weird trope that I picked up on this. That 
I don't know what it is with like movies and television, but any guy who works in like a video store is always like pretentious and a like a loser who's super gross and you don't like their company. That's a good point. Like that that's a weird very specific stereotype that I didn't seem to you know carry over into the culture at large but movies and tv were definitely trying to make it happen oh for real like the first one i can think of is um randall from like the clerks movies but every time there's someone in like a video store it's always that kind of guy and i don't know why the 80s are full of unplumbable mysteries you got Um, me on that yeah yeah but it's such a shame because this guy is such a horrible lech um which ruins how fun it is to watch this 1989 video store that's packed with rid- a ridiculous number of standees of like actual movies. Yes, I don't know how they got Tom Hanks and Die Hard movies in there. Yeah, no, it, it's it's so fun to you know play. Uh, wow, I can't come up with any words right now. Um, I Spy. Um, I definitely behind his head in one shot. I saw a VHS of Silent Night, Deadly Night Two, which oh. thrilling. <laughs> beautiful (laughs) um anyway so basically now michael is struggling with the idea of working in the sewer he's like well i'm not gonna have a secretary but it's a job and i'm like he he really does deserve the yuppie title that is thrown around all the time like it has to have a secretary to be a job that discounts most jobs but okay well he also didn't for real though but he also like didn't ask what his job was he just puts on a suit and just rolls up to his new job with no idea of what it is, not realizing, oh, I'm a man who's going to be running around in the sewer. I probably shouldn't have worn a suit. He didn't even bother to ask. Oh, yeah. Michael's an idiot. He saw an ad for a job and the job and the listing basically says very lucrative, like good career path. And he gets hired without even interviewing. He just calls and they're like, you're hired. And he's like, well, it must be, you know, I must be the CEO of something. Yeah, uh, honestly, that's kind of how I got my first job after high school. Uh, I got an, a job through an ad on Craigslist, actually. Ooh. And I believe that it said something like, we're seeking employees with rock star attitude, must be at least 18, know how to drive, like have your own transportation, and like a few other like basic qualifications. And uh, down at the bottom, in all caps, it said free beer. Oh, yep. Uh, the beer itself was Rolling Rock, which is the worst beer I've still ever tasted. And the job was selling speakers out of a van under oh. dubious circumstances. They were not stolen, but they weren't good speakers. Oh, yeah. No, uh, I you know what? I will not tell that story um, on the air. <laughs> um, but anyway. Um, Dick Miller really gets a chance to shine here when he's doing orientation for Michael. He starts talking about the history of sewers. He's like, before sewers, there was nothing. And he's like, there are some snakes down here, but you get immune after a couple bites. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. No, he's he's a tough guy. He's, um, he's Dick Miller. Of course he's tough. He died oh. in Gremlins 1 and then somehow came back for Gremlins 2. <laughs> he sure did. You can't keep him down. Um, but then he starts talking about, you know, the alligators in the sewer and their albino because of like not living in the light. And then all of of a sudden these albino alligator jaws clamp onto Michael. And then after the commercial break, we learn that it's like a rubber prank that he does for any, any new recruits. Yeah. Um, so basically 
because he works in the sewers, this triggers his fear of the dark. And he and his wife have this argument over whether or not the bedside lamps should be on or off. And they have a switch for the bedside lamps, like right above the bed, like on the wall. Um, like the, like they live in a hotel and I'm very jealous. I, I would be distracted by that light switch. Cause I feel like I would just be sleeping and like bump it with like my pillow or something all the time. Yeah. It's definitely like it, it is convenient, but you pay for that because that can happen. But I was also, I was, I was sorry. also sorry to interrupt. I was also in their bedroom, extremely distracted by their triangle side tables. Yeah, no, their their bedroom is their bedroom slash apartment is a mystery because I don't know why she's so concerned about the bedside lamps because there is a hot pink neon sign hanging on their wall above the fireplace that's also lit and in their bedroom. That's mood lighting. Yeah, okay, so that's not keeping her awake, but the lamp is. Yes. <laughs> it's much harsher light. That's the ge- true. The gentle buzz of the neon sign is like white noise. Sure. Um, but basically, he has another night terror that night, and so he goes back to sleep, pointing two flashlights into his face, like cross-armed like a mummy. <laughs> um, then he has to go down in the sewer tunnel to open some valve or other. Um, and while he's walking down there, he just... He does a series of impressions just to amuse himself, I guess. It's it's just uh, if he if he's laughing, he can't be scared, I guess. Yeah, I you know, I appreciate that. Um, but then the door he's come to open unlocks itself and starts to creak open, and this creepy spindly creature hand claws on the outside of the door, which is actually pretty neat. Oh, it's a very good looking hand. Like it's it's clearly rubber, but it doesn't look that rubbery, I guess. Yeah, it obviously looks, you know, it's it's fake, but it's uncanny fake. Yes. And uh, I, also, I wonder if sewers actually do have these giant, like, submarine doors on them. Because I don't think so. I don't think so either, but the stuff like this or Return of the Living Dead 3 or a bunch of other things just make me think that there's giant, like, vault doors in the sewers. I mean, I've not been in them personally, so I cannot I cannot vouch one way or the other. Me either. So I'm just going to I'm going to believe TV and movies because when has that ever steered me wrong? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. So there are vault vaults in the sewer. And when you get sent home from work by Dick Miller, tuba music accompanies you like. So, yeah, his the next night, the wife is driven, driven mad by him wanting to sleep with the lights. Um, rather than in any way empathizing with his clearly debilitating fear, um, she basically threatens to leave him and she does. She's like, I'd rather sleep on the bus than in this room. And it's like, do you not have a couch? <laughs> like go in a different room and just chill out and let him, I don't know, get him a therapist. Like he needs help. I mean, he's kind of a, at the beginning of the episode, he's sort of a dirtbag who just, sleeps till noon, watches TV, and then, like, goes to sleep again, and that's pretty much how he spends his days. Accurate. So I wouldn't rule it out that the rest of their apartment is, like, some sort of bachelor pad that's, like, a single lazy boy facing a TV that's sitting on a milk crate in the other room. <laughs> okay, that's fair, but their bed- I guess they, they blew all of their budget on the bedroom before he lost his job. Y- yes, that was her choice. That was her, like, decor project. Clearly, um, and it has about as much focus as any uh, script for this show. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. 
Okay, so I guess I guess you're right that um, her leaving probably has a lot of sources other than his leaving the light on. Oh yeah, I, I'm sure it's rooted in plenty of other complaints and previous fights. Yeah, but then she's like, "You're a man. You're 25 years old," which is ob- objectively untrue. <laughs> no, this this guy is like Matthew Broderick in the producers, like in in how he acts and how he looks. He is not 25. Yeah, and well, it's like a the the age difference between his character and him like puts Stockard Channing in Greece to shame. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but basically, he goes back to work. Um, he is determined to kind of you know write himself and do it properly, and he just he just jumps on down that manhole. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's fearless now. He's 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 living up to his potential in his hero's journey. Yeah. Um, and then the demon hand grabs him. Still a cool demon hand. Um, and then this kid pokes him awake, and the kid's like, and he says, who are you? And the kid's like, well, I'm Michael, whatever my last name is. And he's like, but that's me. So he's encountering his younger self for whatever reason in the sewers. Um, and then the kid asks him, girls, are they worth the wait? <laughs> <laughs> Evidently, they are. Yeah, apparently. I mean, it, uh, in my experience, it depends on the girl, but you you can't really get that kind of nuance with a small child. No, or with or with this man. Yeah, also that. Um, but yeah, so basically they have a conversation and it, nothing super spooky happens. And then it just cuts to him being carted away by an ambulance because he did just fall down that fucking manhole. Um, it, and just it just breaks his ankles. Yeah. Um, and then Dick Miller's like, well, okay. Yeah, and then it ends on Dick Miller putting the hat that he got from the child in the sewer on his head, which creates a weird continuity thing that doesn't make any sense. Maybe he pulled it out of the dream, like, Freddy Krueger style. Yeah, it's um, like it's they did it with a hat instead of something more interesting. Yes. Um, but yeah, so then we cut to Freddy pokes out of the manhole. He says, there's nothing to fear but fear. Trust me. Um, and then he's eaten by an albino alligator that sticks its head out and burps, which is hilarious. It's, it's Freddy really is like the saving grace of these episodes most of the time. See, if you had seen the other episodes that I have, you wouldn't say that. You're very lucky. <laughs> like... These episodes, and especially this one, Freddy is on fucking point. He is here to play. He's having a good time. Um, And he's not just kind of lightly poking at a corpse that looks like nobody in the episode and saying, well, there they go. (laughs) (laughs) They gave him good material. It was a a good night. Yeah. No, I mean, look, I'm I'm glad. This pair of episodes has been particularly rough like tonally so i'm very glad we at least had something fun for you to watch yeah i um bj mentioned that after we watched uh the first episode that you texted her to apologize (laughs) about the episodes and i um I, i have no other context on the other ones but i cannot help but feel like these are some of the weaker ones yeah i mean generally there are many episodes that are worse in terms of structure and presentation, but there are a few that are worse in kind of social constructs and problematic material. Well, I'm glad that I'm the one who got a muscle through them then. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, you, you have the strength, um, you know, you're, you're, you're the savior for other potential guests. Uh, 
I'm fighting the good fight so that other people don't have to. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Um, but yeah, speaking of incredibly problematic material, this second half is all about the sleazy boss. Um, basically, he sexually harasses Linda some more, you know, par for the course for a day for him. This um, is pretty much his entire characterization. Yep. Um, but then Mr. Jordan of Black Knight Audio comes in. Um, apparently this company sold him a bunch of like subliminal messaging sleep tapes to sell and he sold them all but never gave them any of the money um, and Mr. Jordan's like look we shook hands on it and the boss is like look that's the art of the deal and I'm like yep this is definitely a Trump character yeah I mean they're not even being subtle about it because that book had was pretty fresh around this time oh yeah uh, it's we don't have to really dive into that but it's it's despicable how like all the way back to like Gremlins two and episodes like this and all of this stuff, it's like we we've known we've known. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so Mr. Jordan's like, how about instead you sell our new tape, which is called How to Be a Mega Success? You should try it out. Um, Freddy shows up again and says a whole limerick about the horrible boss, which I did not write down. But the last word, which I believe according to the rhyme scheme, is probably farts. Um, is <laughs> is bleeped and he gets mad at the censor for bleeping him, which again, very fun. I, I Freddy's best when he breaks the fourth wall, and that's kind of how this whole thing works. But I like it now that like the character of the editor is a thing. Yeah, I just like Freddy is so aware that he's in this shitty TV show, and I think he's just frustrated at this point and trying to lash out and have fun. Oh yeah, he's 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 amusing himself. Yeah. He's not amusing us. That's largely true. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the the boss puts in the tape as he goes to bed. He has a dream about waking up dressed as a child. It is a terrifying look. He has this like bleached child mullet. <laughs> it's just like they stuck a wig on him that they picked up at like the thrift store. Oh yeah. Um, but then his mom and dad pop up, and his mom says. One of my favorite lines of this show, you're a butt, pure and simple. <laughs> it's just so, I I get why you have to not say ass around when you're talking to a child, but the fact that she just is insulting her child in such a juvenile way is perfect. <laughs> it's really hilarious. Um, and then it's unclear because of, you know, how skittish this show is about like actual violence, but they, they cut off his penis, don't they? That's the implication, because he wakes up and is like, oh, good, it's still there. Yeah, so that's... that happened. Um, yay. That's, um, not the, uh, that's not the only other trans-ish thing that's going to happen in, like, the next five minutes. No, it's not. As, as if we didn't have enough on our plates with this character. Um, so he... Oh, there's also kind of a... almost a homophobic thing, because, like... He wakes up with Rebecca, who I think is works at the video store, um, and she's like, "You know, you're two timing. I'm leaving you." And then this like beefcake dude kind of leans up from behind her, like they've all been sleeping in bed together, and he punches the boss. Um, oh, he had it coming. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's I I don't understand this scene, but I appreciate the punch. I um, mean, I'm I'm guessing that they maybe she. I don't know. I'm guessing, like, that he's there just to really drive the knife in further that she's leaving him. 
I, they, I they, were, she, he, they were really married to him staying in bed. Oh, yeah. Um, so he... Oh, one thing to mention is that he keeps, like, spraying, like, Banaka in his mouth for no reason all the time. Um, that's his other character trait, aside from sexually assaulting women. Yeah, um, his mom insults him for his halitosis at, like, at one point. <laughs> his mom is the best character. <laughs> oh, she she gives no fucks. It's amazing. <laughs> um, but yeah, so oh, I think this is the part they were mentioning, where he wakes up as, like, a homeless woman that he kicked out of the store earlier. Yeah, he wakes up, and I'm like, why does he have tits? I guess he's the homeless woman now, but he has a home, and I, I'm very confused. Yeah, he's, I guess he's, this is his nightmare. He's in his bedroom, but it's been made up to be, like, very dirty and, like, made of cardboard, but it's still a room. Yeah, I I don't know. It's just easier than filming on the street, I guess. I guess. Um, And then Mr. Jordan is there again. He's in some sort of space car with like a screensaver of stars behind him um and then sorry this guy is laying on the ground and the same stars are going so he's like laying on the green screen i guess yeah it's something Um, there's some weird green screen angles that happen in this segment and like the one there's one later with the car that drives me crazy (laughs) oh we will get to that yeah Um, but okay so the have you seen the movie the apple i have not okay never mind but this reminds me of one of the final sequences of that movie you should see that by the way um it's wild okay i will uh, i will give it a listen on recommendation or i'll give it a watch i guess yeah i i you should ask bj if she's seen it because it seems like something that she would have seen i feel like she has because she has seen literally everything yeah you, you can trust her to that um <laughs> Anyway, so Mr. Jordan's like, yeah, we're keeping you asleep with these tapes. You don't wake up till I say so, and you owe us half your assets. Um, and then he runs him over with the space car, and then he wakes up again with the little tiny toy car on his face. Yes. <laughs> um, but then he wakes up in bed, but Mr. Jordan is still there, and he's like, your subconscious is mine. And he keeps calling him brother-in-law, which I just weird. Yeah. I don't it's, I don't understand that at all. And also I based on um based on the way he's like referring to like his subconscious and stuff like that, it sounds like he's not dreaming more as much as he's like hypnotized, which would be a much more believable sort of thing for this. But then it's like no, it's actually a dream and this man is now controlling dreams somehow. Yeah, I mean maybe he gave Freddy Krueger his powers. <laughs> That's kind of what I was wondering, where this guy is jumping through dreams, and I'm like, is, is so this guy's Freddy now, I guess? I Sure. Yeah, you know, why the hell not? Um, Fre- Freddy loaned him his, his powers to make a point. Sure. Just get some money. Um, maybe he gets a, he gets a cut. Um, <laughs> it's like a pyramid scheme of dream monsters. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, you get lonely in there. Um, but so, okay. Most of these of the episodes of the show are based around like a constant loop of dreams of like a character waking up and still being in a dream and waking up again. At least this episode is designed around that. So it's a little less frustrating, even though this character is horrible. Yeah. Um, It's structurally less frustrating. Um, I mean, this fit the theming of what Freddy does, I think, a lot more strongly than the other three episodes I saw. But by this point, I was feeling like I was being gaslit by these episodes. 
Yeah, they're they're constantly throwing something new at you. I will say that at least in in praise of them, maybe. Yeah, I mean, we're we're, we're never sitting still. It's like a shark. If it sits still too long, it dies. <laughs> I guess that's how season two ends. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so there's um, he goes to open the door of his bedroom, and there's a brick wall. So he climbs out the window into a neighborhood that looks like one of those like fake neighborhoods they set up for nuclear testing. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's like the uh, like the way too pastel neighborhood from like Edward Scissorhands. Oh yeah, or like um, a Wrinkle in Time, like the communist neighborhood where they're all bouncing the ball at the same time. Yes, it's very you know like that, and I'm like this is definitely not where this man lives. It's the surreal neighborhood that the Black Hole Sun music video was pe- <laughs> like tearing down. Yes, exactly. Um, but so he's like kind of stuck in a loop of constantly climbing out of that window. But then he walks out on the sidewalk, and on one side, there's a guy on a motorcycle with a chainsaw driving towards him, which, you know, hot. Um, and then there's <laughs> a jouster on horseback on the other direction coming towards him. Um, yeah, and also he's, like, losing teeth progressively. Oh, yeah, it's... They're, like, he's, you know, he's getting more and more beat up. Like, he's getting, like, black eyes and, like, cuts on his face, but, like, his teeth are just disappearing for some reason. They're going for something. Yeah. Um, but then he's finally like, all right, I give up. And so Mr. Jordan shows up again, picks him up in a car. Um, and this is that uh, rear projection we're talking about where they're driving and then the car starts to fly into the sky. Well, one, the car is flying like it's grease, but also the angle doesn't make any sense. Like the green screen is filmed as though they're going on an angle, but the shot of the car is from the direct side. Oh, yeah. So it's like giving me weird perspective issues. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm like, it feels like vertigo. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe they were trying to throw you off kilter, you know? It's that subtle thing where some horror movies have like a faint, like uncomfortable noise in the background to make you uneasy. It's like that. Yeah, exactly. They're like, that's why we did these bad effects. Um, so yeah, basically Mr. Jordan tells him to get out of the car and he's perfectly happy to get out of a moving car. But once he finds out that they're in the sky, that's when he has a problem. <laughs> Yeah, I. well, they were on the ground. Maybe he wasn't... No, he's looking forward. He would see it. There's no excuse for it. Yeah, it's it's wild. Um, but then he wakes up again, and he just grabs a random piece of paper and writes, like, I hereby pay to this company half of my assets, um, which I don't think is how finances work. No, I think it has to be notarized. At least. By, like, a lawyer or something. You can't just scribble it on a post-it note. No. It's it's not exactly legally binding. No, um, but then he he goes to work for some reason, um, and the the guard of the security guard of the video store, which all video stores have, um, is still there after hours watching a porn tape. And the boss comes in, and the guard shoots the boss. Um, at which like point, a lot, a lot, which it it's just a video store. Like you you don't even need the security let alone armed security maybe, maybe it's a bad neighborhood sure I, I there's homeless ladies it's dangerous very um, but also the the security guard's character is that he's jamaican and he likes porn that's his whole character you know he's got so much depth you know i'm so i'm so glad that they're really expanding the roles for people of color in this television show yeah well this movie is like hitting both sides of like the spectrum with the Jamaican guy and Mr. Jordan. Yeah, it's 
as if we weren't already, you know, in a pile of problematic trash, which had to kind of dump some more on there. Um, but then, so he's lying on the ground, bleeding to death, and he's like, "You're fired, you putts," which. It would be funny if I had any kindness towards this character. No, absolutely, because like, haha, you got shot, uh, rim shot, boom. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so basically, he wakes up again because he's still dreaming, and he's trapped in a dream. Womp womp. Um, and Freddy shows up, and he goes to sleep, and then he sprays the banaka, and he's like, pretend to dream, to dream, to dream, to dream, and the close up zooms in on Freddy's luscious lips. <laughs> and that's that's the episode yeah i i mean on one hand i like that um that this is a a black guy sticking it to like a dirtbag white guy and getting like all of his money uh-huh but also i don't like that i have to sit through this and it's framed like the shitty music or the shitty uh video store owner is like sympathetic yeah i or like maybe it just doesn't make sense because like they could have tried to go for like a scrooge route where he like learns a lesson but they don't no he just he just gets trapped forever and is like please don't leave me and it's it's kind of that's more dark than this character deserves yeah it it's very this episode's very strange the morals of the show never really land or make sense but it's peculiar yeah Um, but all in all what are your final thoughts on this episode was it a dream was it a nightmare or did it put you to sleep i this this one's an even bigger nightmare than the last one (laughs) yeah um for me i'm gonna say put me to sleep in general just because i think it was way more boring in general like i did not like the sewer story at all it, mm-hmm. except for dick miller's presence i i found it really lackadaisical and go nowhere and then the second half is just another endless slew of dreams with this horrible person so i just like it is it is punishing and deserves a nightmare but it's mostly excruciatingly boring yeah i mean they took very very thin concepts and then sat there and said to themselves okay we have to now stretch this for 20 minutes and it makes it very tedious. Yeah. I, I will say, Freddy is having a blast in this episode, though. So I'm oh, grateful absolutely. for that. Yeah, he, this is this is some peak Freddy. At least for the show, probably. Absolutely. Like, no question. This is the best Freddy has been in all 20 episodes that I have seen. Perfect. <laughs> so uh, let's remind everyone, where can they find you, Harmony, out on you and your show out on the internet? You can find me specifically on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor. There's some underscores in there. And you can find the podcast that I do with my wife, This Ends at Prom, at This Ends at Prom, at, uh, or at This Ends at Prom, on Twitter and Instagram as well. And you should. And you, you just launched um, at the end of August, but do you have an episode that you would like to point people to that is like your personal favorite so far? Actually, yes. So we've done, there's three out at the time of recording this. And my favorite one, I think that we've done, period, because we have a few more in the can, is our episode on Just One of the Guys from, I think, 1986. Sounds about right. I and think 85, but it doesn't matter. 
yeah, basically that. So that is my favorite episode because not only do we get to discuss like problematic faves because it's dealing with gender stuff, which always gets dicey when it's a cis person, but there's a lot of deep dive stuff on high school and queerness and just like the experience of womanhood that we don't get to do quite as often because this isn't presented as like a core part of the story in most films. Yeah, no, it's, it's a super great episode. Um, I mean, I, I've loved all of your episodes so far. Um, Thank you. You're welcome. And teaser um, as when this episode, when this episode airs, um, this ends up prom will have released their high school musical episode already. And I am extremely excited to dig into that one. It's uh, it's our most fun episode because we actually have our first guest for that episode. It's uh, featuring Willow Hawks, who is the singer of the Sonderbombs, who does our theme song, actually. And, and they are so much fun. Yeah, no, I, I can't wait to listen. And you should listen to every episode that's already out. It is, you know, it's new. So you got to hop on that train and, you know be the first one to say I was there when it started. Yeah. It's the cool thing to say. Super cool. <laughs> um, and yeah, as, as always, uh, every episode is brought to you by donations from listeners like you. Please help us keep going by donating to the Okra project. You can donate through the link in the show notes, take a screenshot of your receipt and send it to w2ptpod at gmail.com or DM it to me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at it's raining brands and Instagram at the burning Clem. Our artwork was created by Henry Hall if you'd like to support trans artists, and you should, you can send them a commission at henryhall.design. Our theme song is Living in a Dream by Pseudo Echo. Rate and review us, please. Um, our next episode, where Harmony will blissfully be living her life, not having to watch it. Um, <laughs> I awake called... from the nightmare. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then I'm by your bedside, and I'm like, uh-uh, you're coming right back. <laughs> um, yeah, the next episode is going to be called Identity Crisis. A man struggles with his age on his birthday, believing, believing that his son is out to kill him. And a teenager confronts her mom about possibly being adopted. So, yeah, see you for that. And until next time, sweet dreams, everybody. Bye-bye.